I started eating unhealthy early in life. Does that still mean that my risk for colorectal cancer is increased or am I now protected? You know, when a person quits smoking, the, the, the lung cells start to heal. But your, your risk of lung cancer doesn't go to zero the next day. It gradually tails off too. But that's the reason, in my view, not to think about, oh, I'll just do it here and there, a little bit of moderation. It's like moderation in smoking. You want the body to heal from the things that have happened in the past. And we can, the body has a remarkable ability to heal. So who here has had a health transformation? That's a lot of hands that just went up. Give yourselves a round of applause. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Garden Grove, California, Worcester, Massachusetts, and Nanjing, China. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 39 of season 6, number 435 overall. I want to do something different today. I want to go back and play for you our big exam room live and in-person event that we had out in Los Angeles. And this event was such a success. It was literally the biggest night in the history of this show. I mean, the place was packed with exam roomies and not just from the Los Angeles area. We had exam roomies come in from Michigan to be there, from Texas to be there, from Canada, came all the way from Canada. Michelle, who's from Calgary, was so excited to be there because she has lost an extraordinary amount of weight and her health is so much better because she's using the tips that we talk about here on the show. And as a matter of fact, when I was out to dinner the night before the show, we were at a place called Nick's on Beverly, and I was eating with a couple of my colleagues and Dr. Neil Barnard. Michelle came up to us, had never met her before, and just wanted to introduce herself. She was so excited to be there and to share her story. And so really, that set the tone for what was going to be just an extraordinary, an extraordinary couple of days. And at the event the next night, just meeting hundreds of exam roomies. Everybody with a story to share and this passion for health, it really does. You all do. The exam roomies give me hope that we are truly headed toward a healthier future. So I'm so excited to be able to bring this evening to you wherever you are in the world. And the panel on this show was just incredible. Of course, Dr. Barnard was there, Dr. Christy Funk, Dr. Columbus Batiste. Our friend Harley Quinn Smith, musician and actress, daughter of director Kevin Smith, she was there, as was Samantha Harris from Dancing with the Stars. And then the big surprise of the night, here's a little inside scoop for you. I talked about maybe a surprise guest or two. I was saying that in the month leading up to the show because I wasn't sure that this guy was going to come. And we were pretty sure that he wasn't until he emailed the night before. It says, hey, what time do I need to be there? And that is how Moby, the musician, wound up on the show that night. Will he be there? Won't he be there? The night before, he says he will. 
Turns out he was planning to be there all along, and that was just our miscommunication, I suppose. And so glad he was able to join us up on stage and on the show and uh, literally uttered the first F-bomb in the history of the exam room, which I thought was really kind of funny. And I'll bleep it out here. I thought about taking it out altogether, but nah, I figured because it was, it was such a show-stopping moment, it, it needs to, to stay in for what it is we're going to do here today. So just an incredible evening, so much fun, and I cannot wait to do this again. And we are going to do it again in New York, July 12th. We're going to be celebrating our 12 million downloads and close to 100 million streams on YouTube on July 12th in New York. And then we're going to do it a third time because the party rolls on a little bit later on this year in Washington, D.C. as well. So let's roll. This is truly a healthy toast to you for making The Exam Room one of the most downloaded nutrition podcasts on the planet. So here's to 12 million downloads, 100 million views, and many more to come. You guys are something else. Holy cow. Thank you so much for coming. I mean, you sure do know how to make a guy feel overwhelmed with gratitude. Uh, please give yourself a round of applause for being here tonight. All right, guys. It is time for the Exam Room Podcast, and so why don't we go ahead right now and welcome up my first guest, who really needs no introduction. Dr. Neil Barnard is here with us. Thank you. Thank you for being here. How great is this? I mean, this Fantastic. is just something. I'm telling you, you know, five, five and a half years ago when we started the exam room, if you would have told me that you and I would be standing on a stage like this doing the show, I would have said, no way, you're dreaming. Well, now you're going to have to do this every week. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, can we turn the exam room live into the exam room live and in person every yeah. week, huh? That'd be wonderful. And, you know, we had the opportunity this evening, Dr. Barnard, to really see the extent to which the show has reached out and touched so many lives. Even last night when we were sitting at dinner, we met Michelle, who has come all the way from Canada to be here with us tonight. And she has lost an extraordinary amount of weight. And um, thank you for being here. Can we give Michelle a round of applause? Stand up, Michelle. Stand up, Michelle. Stand up. Michelle and her husband are here all the way from Calgary. And we were at dinner last night, and when she came up and she shared her story with Dr. Barnard and I, we were just blown away. So thank you so very much for investing your time with us. You are just extraordinary. Um, and of course, Dr. Barnard, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how much our work at the Physicians Committee is benefited and is made possible by all of the support that's in the room tonight. Absolutely, yes. Huge thank you to all of you for making this happen. That's the, the whole idea here is to change the world. Thank you. And, we, and it's not just the show. It's all of our, our outreach, universal meals, all of the research that we do, all of the extraordinary efforts we're doing to shut down these animal labs and raise uh, the health IQs of everybody that still thinks that animal testing is necessary when if there's anything that anybody has ever learned on the exam room is it's 100% not necessary. Exactly. we got to make the world a better place. But, you know, Dr. Barnard, the theme of the night tonight 
is high five. And so I really want to talk about cancer. I want to talk about heart disease. I want to talk about preventative medicine. But why don't we go ahead and start with cancer? And we hear about the trends and we hear about how many cases there are. And one of the things that I've learned over time is that so many of these cases are preventable. In your estimation, just broadly speaking, how many of these cases do you think we could have avoided? You know, I think the, the answer to that depends a bit on which kind of cancer it is. If we look at the, the cancers of the digestive tract, that's stomach, pancreas, colon, or the hormone-related cancers, breast, prostate, for example, those are the ones where diet plays a really, really big role. Less so for, say, neurological cancers or blood cancers. But if you look at the ones, digestive tract, hormonal ones, which are the, the really common ones, you know, what was it, uh, Matt Williams, the third base coach for the Padres, yes. uh, 57 years old, in the news today? yesterday morning, today, um, with a new diagnosis of, of colorectal cancer. If you, if you look at all those, it, you would have to think that somewhere north of 50% of them would be preventable if we put what we know already to work. Yeah. Think about, that's a lot of, if, I mean, look at how many people in this room, if you just look at that in terms of percentages, I mean, how many empty chairs we would have. Yeah, right? exactly, but you know, to, to actually do that means making some changes, and, and for me it means eating everything the opposite of how I was raised. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you feel this way. I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. Seen the movie? You know, um, everything, everything we grew up, you know, you have your bacon, have your eggs, have your sausage. This is good food. It's got iron, whatever. And it's exactly wrong. So if we're not supposed to eat those things, with the theme of the night being a high five, if somebody came up to you, say, me right now, and said, hey, Dr. Barnard, what are five foods that we could be eating that would really drop our risk of cancer? What are the most protective? Well, let me give you four that are not going to surprise you. You know, fruits obviously come top of the list because fruits are, are good and th these are the natural zero cholesterol, zero fat practically, high fiber foods that all, not only humans but all of our primate cousins have as, as their number one staple. After that, vegetables, whole grains and beans, but my fifth is not a food. My fifth is a time machine because you've got the, the cancer that's diagnosed at 57, it didn't start when you're 55. If, if you look at, at what's happening to kids now, they're in school, they're eating, you know, bacon is like a fad. For, it, it is. There's bacon-flavored soap. Am I wrong? Um, and so the, the family goes out to Denny's and the kids are all eating bacon because you don't think about colorectal cancer for a kid. This is when it starts. Not, not only that the kids get hooked on these foods at that point, but the cancer processes start years before diagnosis. So we need a time machine. We need to start thinking about health at the time when our kids are just beginning life. Let's set them on a pathway to health. Well, let me ask you this. Um, I brought these pants tonight for a reason. Would you, would you mind? There we go. So when I was in my mid-20s, I wore pants like this, 66-inch waist pant. I now eat a healthy plant-based diet with all of the foods that you were talking about. I started eating unhealthy early in life. Does that still mean that my risk for colorectal cancer is increased, or am I now doing a lot more to be protected? Oh, great question. You know, we learned this with smoking. 
you know, when a person quits smoking, the, the, the lung cells start to heal. But your, your risk of lung cancer doesn't go to zero the next day. It gradually tails off too. But that's the reason, in my view, not to think about, oh, I'll just do it here and there, a little bit of moderation. It's like moderation in smoking. You want the body to heal from the things that have happened in the past. Exactly. And, so, we, and we can. The body has a remarkable ability to heal. Resilience, right? So who here has had a health transformation? That's a lot of hands that just went up. Congratulations, your body is resilient. Give yourselves a round of applause. So let's do a kind of a hard pivot here because we, we got to get the show moving tonight, man. Uh, we got a lot of people that we need to talk to, a lot of very important people and exciting people. And I know that uh, you are a musician. And so I am so thrilled. By the way, uh, there may or may not be new music on the way. I'm just saying, Mr. I'm in a band. Did y'all know that he was in a band? Little band called Carbon Works. Stay tuned. But our next guest is somebody who also really needs no introduction. Uh, I personally have been a huge fan of his for many, many years, and to be able now to share a little bit of time with him on the stage and for him to have been on the, the exam room before is just really the thrill of a lifetime. Moby, thank you so much for making some time and coming out. Do we get to sit down? Why yes, yes, yes. I was thinking the whole time Dr. Barnard and I were talking, I was like, we should really be sitting. I mean, I'm an old person, and boy, do I love sitting down. <laughs> oh. that's, that's the spot did right you, there. You really had 66 inch I did. That is, that is 100% true. So, quite the transformation. Wow. But yeah. That's amazing. Where did it all go? I kind of Where does it go? I mean, you're the doctor. You tell us. Does it just magically disappear? What happens? Apparently. Yeah, it, apparently so. So, <laughs> when people go vegan, it's usually for one of three reasons. It's either for health, for the environment, or in the case of you, sir, uh, for the animals. Um, how much has your compassion for animals influenced you, not just as a person, but how much has that trickled down into your music? Well, I grew up with what you guys were referring to earlier, and you were referring to it more from a sort of physiological health perspective, but the paradox, which is so baffling, and I think it's actually led a lot of us to be on the verge of mental illness or actual mental illness, the paradox of living in a world where everyone loves animals. Everyone's horrified by the idea of animal suffering. Like, no one wants to hurt an animal, but everyone contributes to animal suffering. And I grew up with that weird paradox, and the paradox is so ubiquitous that we're not even aware that it's a paradox. You know, when I was growing up, and I assume I'm stating the obvious for a lot of people here, I grew up loving animals. I grew up in a household filled with rescued animals, but I also, and I loved them unconditionally. More than the people in my life, I loved the animals. But I also loved Burger King. I loved bacon. I loved salami sandwiches. And it never seemed strange until I had my Saul on the road to Damascus moment when I was 19 and I was petting a rescue cat named Tucker and all of a sudden I, the synaptic connection was made and I realized Tucker, this, this rescue cat, I loved so much and I would never in a million years do anything to harm Tucker 
And I was like, oh, but I harm other animals. And that was 1984, and then I went vegan in 1987. And in terms of expanded compassion influencing music, I mean, that's such a big, it's a wonderful question. It's a big esoteric question, and I wish I had some rehearsed fantastic answer, but I don't actually know when you expand your emotional awareness, when you expand your sense of compassion, I don't know how that's affected my music life. I assume it has, but I'm also lacking in objectivity, so I'm probably the worst judge of how it might have affected me. Let me throw you a little bit of a curveball here because I'm sure that there are a lot of people in this room. The fact that you went vegan in 1987 is extraordinary. And I think here we are in 2023. There's probably a lot of people in this room tonight who get a lot of pushback from their friends, their family members, their colleagues, whomever, for their choice to eat a plant-based diet. You did this well ahead of the curve. How did you deal with some of the outside noise when I'm sure people did critique what it was was on your plate? Do you know, it's a really interesting question, and I wonder if almost neurologically, whether it's cultural, whether it's neurological, that like there's something different about us. Because like, for example, when I was in 1981, I heard punk rock for the first time, and I was like, great, now I'm a punk rocker. I didn't know any other punk rockers. It was incredibly lonely, and I was ridiculed for being a punk rocker. 1987, I went vegan because it, I was like, this is the right thing to do. And of course, I alienated my friends. I alienated my family. But I was like, and I'm not looking for accolades for doing this. I'm saying there's actually something sort of antisocial personality disorder in me <laughs> that makes me capable of like adhering to a principle, which means rejecting your friends and your family. So it's, but when I meet a lot of other longtime vegans, there's just simply that idea that like, oh, this was the right thing to do. I have an adherence to principle that certainly is not expedient. And if anything, as anybody else here can attest to, like it's, it's really, it's lonely, it's isolating, it's difficult. But once you realize the truth of how non-vegan food is produced, how in the world can you ever go back to that? How can you support it? And uh, what, yeah, run up, come on. I guess I'm, I'm just curious, how do you begin to have those conversations with other people who aren't yet eating a plant-based diet? I say aren't yet because I'm optimistic, eventually everybody will, um, but a lot of people, man, it's like their heels are dug in Moby and they just don't want to budge. If you're having a conversation with somebody like that and you're trying to express your feelings toward it, how do you even begin? I just, I lock them in my basement. <laughs> and I repurpose a cattle prod and I just sit them there tied to a chair with their foot and feet in some water and I just hold the cattle prod and I'm like, so, ridicule veganism now, motherfucker. <laughs> um, no, the, the answer, I, it, it's, there is no easy way to do it and it's the weirdest thing like, I've, I've had this experience, as you guys probably have as well, where you, you'll talk to someone and you'll say, like, oh, so you love animals. Oh, boy, do I love animals. And you would never hurt animals. I would never hurt an animal. And, and the idea of looking at animal suffering is horrifying to you. Yes, so horrifying. And I'm like, okay, then go vegan. And they're like, 
how dare you? And I'm like, but you already, you already agreed with me. Like, that's the thing with 99% of the people on the planet. They already agree with us. They're just unwilling to make that next step. And short of locking them in my basement and threatening physical violence, I don't know how to get them to change. You're listening to the Compassionate Hour here on The Examiner. <laughs> Brought to you by repurposed cattle prods. <laughs> Buyers in our Amazon store. Man, I really don't know where to go from there. My goodness gracious. <laughs> this show's off the rails, man. We're only on guest number two, man. Oh, man. Um, but seriously, thank you so much for being such a, a huge supporter and being here tonight. It means the world, not just to me, but certainly I speak for Dr. Barnard and everybody at the Physicians Committee and everybody in this room tonight, sir. You are really, you are a straight shooter, man, and the world needs more people like you, so major gratitude. Oh, thank you very much. And also, just lastly... I mean, obviously, like a lot of people here, I support a lot of different organizations, but Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine has for decades now been the 501c3 that I support more than any other. Um, the fact that you have the weight of science, that you have that your doctors, that people take you seriously, that your campaigns are effective. So it's such an honor to do anything I can to help you guys with your work. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you so very much. Greatly appreciate it. Cattle prods are available for purchase as you leave this evening. <laughs> oh, man, this is why I love this show. I mean, seriously, I've done a lot of funny things in my life, but this show is just the tops. Uh, we have some other VIPs in the house tonight that I just want to take a second to acknowledge. So, uh, Jane Velez Mitchell, where are you sitting, my friend? Jane Unchained, can you stand up? Let every, come on. The one in, yeah. See that? She can kick her leg above her head because she's vegan, my friends. Also, Jim Greenbaum, where are you, my friend? Jim? Hey, in the back. Met Jim very briefly last night. Jim is a philanthropist and a huge supporter of ours, especially uh, everything that we're doing over in China. We're not just limiting our efforts to here in the U.S. Uh, we literally are touching people, Dr. Barnard, all around the world. And... Um, it's just, it's the cool, if you guys only knew half of it. So, who here is a fan of my next guest? She is pretty in pink, and I thought that my shoe game was pretty strong until she walked in the room tonight. <laughs> Can we get a round of applause, for, please, for Dr. Christy Funk? <laughs> yeah, she can see her. Last, last October... I got a, a gift in the mail from Jimmy Choo. No, literally. And I was like, but I can't. Does it come with a limo? Or like, how do you walk in these? And I just had to wear them for like 20 minutes, and I got these fancy shoes for free. She fancy, huh? <laughs> Have a seat. <sighs> Thank you for being here. So Thank you for see. having me. I can't wait. I, was, uh, I just had dinner with... Uh, Dr. Funk's family the other night. We taped an episode of your podcast, so I'm look, looking forward to that. Yes, it's all on obesity and weight loss, so I had to have the champion on. I love you. You're so nice. 
So I was talking to Dr. Barnard at the beginning of the show about the percentage of cancer cases that were preventable. You are an expert, obviously, on breast cancer. In your estimation, when it comes to breast cancer, how many of those cases are preventable and how much is genetics? A solid 50% are completely preventable by diet and lifestyle change. And if you really adhere rigorously to all of the things that science shows clearly decrease cancer risk, I would say 80% hands down don't have to happen. We eight. can take that one in eight stat and make it one in 40 women. Wow. One in 40. So you want to put yourself out of business, basically. <laughs> sure. Early retirement. Bring it on. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, we always talk about diet and lifestyle. I'm a nutrition nerd, so on the exam room, we talk a lot about that. But if you had to weight the two in terms of importance for preventing breast cancer, what weight would you give each? I would give diet 30% and lifestyle 70. Ooh, talk yeah. to me about what falls under the lifestyle category then. So you've got to think about your life in the balance right here of scales. So you've got boulders, things that you choose to do or not do, think or not think, eat or not eat, drink or not drink. And then you have pebbles, things that mm, they can tip a scale if you've got life going pretty evenly. But bam, if you already have a boulder, it weighs so heavily. So our boulders are going to be eating animal protein and animal fat, tip the scale, right? Whole food, plant-based. Boulder being overweight or obese, tip the scale, be normal weight. Boulder drinking excessive alcohol, tip the scale, cut way back to zero. Boulder, being sedentary, not exercising, tip the scale, put a little groove in your move. <laughs> <laughs> and then the pebbles. The pebbles matter, though. And these are environmental toxicities, right? We're, we live in this bio, this chemical barrage. Like you just, you wake up and depending on the detergent you put on your pillowcase, EDC, endocrine disrupting compound. You go put toothpaste on your toothbrush, endocrine, dis EDC, right? Touch the gas pump, EDC. Get your takeout lunch with a plastic fork, EDC. It, it's endless, but to the degree that you can control the things you can control, the choices of your laundry detergent, your soaps, zipping up with a vacuum, the dust in your house, using a HEPA filter, these things actually matter and decontaminate some of this contaminated world we live in. Another pebble for us women out there, hormone replacement. I know... Hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, mood swings, insomnia, wrinkles, but shying away from hormone replacement is a good idea. And yay, live your aging truth. Um, and the final one is a big one for all of us in the room, emotional stress. Dealing intelligently, mindfully with your stress uh, will make a big biochemical difference inside your body. This has been shown. So... So that's why diet matters, 30%. Like, that's a pretty big boulder. But there are a number of other contributing factors which help explain why some of our extreme, like, zend out vegans from birth still can get colon cancer and breast cancer. It still can happen to us because there's always somewhere in our lives that can get improved that will improve your biochemical world, your inflammation inside of you, which sets the stage for all illness. Real quick tip that everybody can take home tonight. Uh, in terms of detergent, because you mentioned that specifically, like if, we, if you just get the free and clear detergent, are you like super safe or what should you be looking for? Organic. 
Organic detergent. Yeah. Okay, there it is. Organic detergent, everybody. <laughs> All right, high five time. So let's talk about five foods that every woman should be stocking up in, in her fridge, in her pantry, if they want to lower their risk of breast cancer. Oh, this is, this is fun. Okay. Top three are really easy because I rattle them off all the time. First one, pick your soy, any soy, organic, non-GMO. It can be tofu, it can be soy milk, edamame, soybeans, miso, soy it up. Anybody who tells you differently hasn't seen the literature, I'm sure they're well-intentioned, they're wrong, okay? Soy is a breast superfood. Every single study ever done in humans looking at soy, high versus low soy consumers, have between 30 and 60% less breast cancer, occurrence, recurrence, and death. So soy it up. Second food, go soy. Uh, Jim Greenbaum, who we were just introduced to, told me about five years ago that uh, Michael Greger told him that two tablespoons of ground flax seeds a day would lower your blood pressure. And I was like, yeah, let me look that up. Oh yeah, he's right. <laughs> Dare I doubt the Greger. Um, so... <laughs> Turns out that flax seeds also have powerful anti-breast cancer secrets in the, in the form of phytoestrogens called lignans. Those women with the highest levels of lignans in their bloodstream have 58% less cancer recurrence at five years post-diagnosis, 33% less breast cancer recurrence at 10 years. One of my favorite studies took a muffin. So everybody had a breast biopsy that showed cancer. They measured three things, markers of aggressiveness for this cancer. KI-67, it's the division rate. How many cells are moving? One becoming two, becoming four, and so on. KI-67. Next one, apoptosis. What percentage of these cells are boop, dying in front of my eyes? Third, CRB2, marker of aggression. Everybody gets a muffin. Half of them get the equivalent of two tablespoons of ground flax seeds in the muffin, the other half placebo. Nothing else changes, right? So they're still maybe overweight sedentary diabetics eating meat, but they have a junk food vegan muffin. So a muffin a day, every day, four or five weeks, they have their definitive cancer surgery, and now we remeasure all three things again from five weeks. And this is what I'm trying to impress upon you. Such a short intervention, such an easy thing to do. The division rate on the cancers from flax dropped 34%. The apoptosis rate went up 31%. And that marker of aggression, CRB2, dropped 71%. Flax. Thanks for the applause. I really, I don't own a flax farm yet. Yes. Um, by the way, Always eat them ground. Your body can't break down the hole. You will simply poop it out. If you grind it, you've got to keep it in the fridge for three months, and then it'll go rancid. All right, next tip. Oh, third thing, oh, cruciferous vegetables. Okay, so broccoli is king, and uh, the lord of lords is going to be broccoli sprouts. Why sulforaphane? The magic in sulforaphane can literally seek out and destroy cancer cells in your body, and albeit in, in animals, we found out that sulforaphane, which comes from eating your broccoli and broccoli sprouts, but the whole cruciferous kingdom will do. Your favorite, I just found out, Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Uh, kale, arugula, etc., cabbage. Um, these foods will make sulforaphane in your body, which has the power to eradicate breast cancer stem cells, which are truly thought to be the masterminds of all breast cancer recurrence. A study of 52,000 African-American women followed for 12 years showed that a mere wimpy single serving of cruciferous veggies a day, so six actually a week, so just a little under one serving a day of cruciferous veggies, 
42% drop in breast cancer. Fourth food in my fridge. You're a fun guy. Do you uh, eat fun guy? There we go. Uh, okay, mushrooms. The shrooms have it in spades. There's a study of <laughs> Chinese women, because they eat enough mushrooms to actually make a study happen, um, eating, you would think, fancy portobello, chanterelle, oyster. No, the cheapo white button mushroom, the size of your thumb, so just like a three-quarters half of a button mushroom a day. Get this. 64% drop in breast cancer. There was just a meta-analysis that Neil introduced me to that happened last year, looking at 17 mushroom studies. The one I just mentioned was one of those 17. And so all together, the highest versus lowest mushroom consumers, 35% drop in breast cancer. Okay, now the final thing in your fridge, you said pantry. It could be, I mean, oh, there's so many things. It could be tomatoes and berries and apples and cinnamon and turmeric and see what I just did there, like, boop. Got five more, but I have one more to tell you about. Mm -hmm. um, okay, this study, this is a cool study. They took 34 vegetable extracts and they dripped them onto petri dishes of eight different kinds of cancers. I only care or know about the breast cancer one. If you're interested in the others, look up the study. So breast cancer, you got these uh, breast cancer petri dishes and they drip all these veggies, right? And so here's your growth of normal breast cancer if you drip water on it. Here's the growth of the cell if you drip carrot extract on it. Ah, didn't do diddly squat. Here it is if you drip celery. Boop, 25% drop in cell division. Here it is if you drop spinach. Boop, 75% as it should be because it's part of the cruciferous kingdom. But over here, boop, like gone? What is that over there? Just give me a shower of that. What is that? Onions and garlic, we got it. Ding, 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 ding. The allium family. So onions, garlics, leeks, they eradicate breast cancer cells, even stem cells. So that's what's in my fridge. Man, that's a, that's a good five plus the bonus ones you snuck in there. Uh, I got to ask you, though, how cool? Yeah, right? That is a high five right there. That is a high five, man. I gotta ask you though, uh, who here had a sweet potato before we started rolling tonight, show fans? Yeah. How you doing, Tony? Any protective factor with sweet potatoes, perchance? Do you know anything? Because our next guest, I mean, we just had a wonderful dinner based off of her delicious stuff, sweet potato recipes. Oh, fantastic. Well, the potato was well chosen because most people probably just see those sweet potatoes at Thanksgiving, but you really should try to debut them on the table once a week or so. Sweet potatoes uh, have a ton of beta carotene, vitamin A that helps with your vision, a lot of antioxidants, vitamin C, all the B vitamins, which squelch out those free radicals that lead to cardiovascular disease and cancer and aging. But one of my favorite little factoids about sweet potatoes is fiber. Why do I always say fiber when I'm around you? I just come out of my mouth. Will Bolsowitz just kind of like rubs off on me and then it rubs <laughs> off on everybody else. So the fiber in a cup of sweet potato is about seven grams. So you're getting all that soluble and insoluble fiber feeding your microbiome. And those little critters are sending off all those short chain fatty acids, protecting your intestinal lining from leaky gut and all that inflammation. The inflammation gets squelched out in your body and then down goes the cardiovascular disease, down goes the cancer. And in point of fact, the peoples on earth that eat the most sweet potatoes have the least amount of breast, colon, and prostate cancer. 
How cool is science, right? Round of applause for science, right? Man, I love it. I absolutely love it. Before we bring up our, our next guest, I want to take a second also to uh, acknowledge our President's Council, Dr. Barnard, who's here with us tonight, um, and, and a lot of volunteers who are in the house as well. So uh, volunteers, thank you guys so very much. A lot of them are Food for Life instructors. Thank you guys so much for making the time. Uh, but Charlotte Cressy, can you stand up real quick? Woman has more energy than anybody I've ever met. True statement. Yeah, Gwen Whitaker from Green Fair Organic Cafe. In Herndon, Virginia. Yep. We've got Mark Doskow. He's here tonight. Mark. Mark. There's my guy, Dr. Richard Smith, my man, with the iron grip. Good to see you, sir. Thank you for being here. You're on the President's Council, too, aren't you? I am. You silly goose. <laughs> and a round of applause for her husband, Andy, as well. Is Andy here tonight? He is not. He's oh. Packing. Andy is an awesome guy, by the way. Um, so thank you, President's Council, for everything that you guys do. Um, again, Christy, Gwen, Mark, thank everybody. You. Charlotte, Miss Energy Ball, love you. Uh, thank you guys for everything. Uh, my next guest is really a myth buster, and that myth is that you have to spend all of your money and then some to eat a healthy diet. Uh, Tony Okamoto is the mastermind behind Plant-Based on a Budget, and she just released a new book, Plant-Based on a Budget, Quick and Easy. Anybody got a copy of that? Yeah. This book is a game changer, and the sweet potatoes that we have for dinner, all her idea. Tony Okamoto is here. Give her a round of applause. How are you? You just released a book. I'm surprised you even had time to be here tonight. I am so excited. Look at this beautiful turnout. I'm Amazing. What a testament to the fantastic work that you've done for so many people. And they're here to see you, not oh. me. <laughs> did you guys know that when Tony first started, I think that, didn't you tell us? That, I did. Share the story. I started plant-based on a budget 11 years ago this year in April. I celebrate 11 years. And the very first day that I announced it, PCRM posted on Facebook, there's a promising new resource, and they linked my Facebook page, and I got all my first followers because of PCRM, so thank you. That's what I'm talking about. When you told me that when you were on the show, I was just blown away. I was like, no way. That's the coolest thing ever. I uh, was blown away when it happened. I was like, how did I get this beautiful gift? It's amazing. Thank well, you. Thank you. I mean, you've brought many beautiful gifts out into the world now, including those sweet potatoes tonight. Um, what, what went into the sweet potatoes? I'm hoping that some of the magical foods that Christy was talking about were in the, in the recipes. Uh, there were a few different things, a uh, few different kinds. Uh, my favorite was the calabacitas one, and it's because it's something that I grew up eating. I am Mexican-American, Japanese-American, and culturally, I grew up eating so much delicious Mexican food, and that's something that I was able to bring into my cookbook, it's calabacitas, which is a, a zucchini dish, and it it paired so perfectly with the sweet potatoes. You hit the culinary jackpot with your background. Oh, I mean, I, Japanese I <laughs> and Mexican, holy cow. Like, wow, right? I mean, holy goodness gracious. Have you calculated the 
average, I mean, 11 years in, how much money you think you've been able to save compared to what the typical grocery bill has been over the years? I was living paycheck to paycheck, and I was in a massive amount of debt. I had multiple jobs that did not pay me well, and I was able to use meal planning as a way to overcome all of those financial obstacles, and all while thriving on a plant-based diet. So I have a lot of experience in saving money on plant-based food. Well, let's learn how to save some money. Who here wants to learn to save money tonight? That's it. I have, I have found that everybody, no matter where you are on the spectrum of earning, loves to save money. That's it. Health equals wealth. So if you were to give somebody five tips, you think, five tips for saving big at the grocery store, and you have really put this into practice in your own life, but I mean, when you talked about cutting your grocery bill by more than half mm -hmm. on the exam room recently, I was blown away. So let's give... Five big tips that people can take away tonight the next time they go to the store so they can save big. Start by meal planning. I will scream it from the rooftops forever because impulsive purchasing leads to so much excessive spending. So starting by meal planning, and I'm not talking about something where you're creating a spreadsheet and having it be this big to do. I'm talking about simply thinking about easy recipes that you can put together in 15 minutes on Monday through Friday. And start by assessing what you have in your pantry and filling in the gaps, creating a grocery list. That's number one. Then when you get to the grocery store, stay the course. There is so much happening when you get there. There is paid product placement that has big giant sales signs and end caps and you think you're about to get a good deal but you're not. Go to the aisle, this is my number three, go to the aisle and look around for the ingredient that you're trying to purchase. So we'll say a can of tomato sauce. Don't just look at where your eye level is because that's likely paid, paid placement too. <laughs> look all the way around and it's probably going, going to be the store brand that's the cheapest. And what's really interesting about that is I got to tour a big uh, grocery store's headquarters and I learned all about private label. And oftentimes, private label is the same exact product that has a name brand, but with their label on it because they were able to broker a better deal and pass those savings along to you. So they don't manufacture all of the things under their private label, they purchase them and they could be the brand that you like anyway. So you could be paying like $6 for something, but then the private label or like the, the store brand, the generic thing would be like $2 and it's exactly the same. Exactly the same. Wow. Yes. Wow. Uh, number four would be looking for the price per ounce. Sometimes you'll see a smaller or larger container and you'll have assumptions about which one might be the best deal check the price per ounce, and that's how I usually determine what is the cheapest. And then lastly, do not sleep on coupons. People have really, really uh, had a bad association. I know that when I was younger, my parents would come to the grocery store with accordion folders, and I would be so embarrassed where they were just rifling through, holding up the line. And now you can be really discreet. All you do is download your grocery shopping, grocery stores app and digitally clip. And when you get to the register, you scan the barcode. And so you get lots of 
savings. And what's cool about it is that when I was younger, there were a lot of coupons that were for sugar cereals and things like that, big name brands. Now when I go to my grocery store, I can get deals on things like avocados and bananas. If you're buying a certain amount, you'll get 10 cents off or 15 cents off of something that you're already buying anyway. I think that your store probably with your with your shopping app probably looks at your purchase history. She's like, she's going to want the fresh fruits and produce. So we're going <laughs> to knock a couple of cents off per pound there. Yes. So that's that's pretty cool. Well, listen, um, if you have not yet per picked up a, your copy of Tony's book, uh, please go ahead and do that tonight. I mean, just a fantastic thing. And the recipes, guys, off the charts, off the charts, delicious. Thank you so much. Thank Hang out you. on stage for a little while. Right, we got I'm, more to do. Hang um, out. Uh, can I get you to slide down the Yeah, road, absolutely, though? absolutely. We got so many people here to go. Oh, this is Mike McKenna. I'm just going to do something that may or may not be professional. So am I announcing these, or what am I doing here? Okay. What are they winning? Oh. All right, here we go. We've got books to give away. Charlotte's dad, Brian Cressy, has given us signed copies of his book, Be a Winner. Right? Who wants to be a winner? Right? Everybody wants to win. So who's got a raffle ticket? Because we've got two people who are about to be winners. I'm very excited. Uh, you want one and I'll do one, Dr. Barnard? All right, you go first. You go first. Winning number is 281-0652. There we are, right in the back. back. We've got a signed copy of a book for you. We'll bring it to you. No need to come up. And the next copy of the book goes to 281 281-0762. Who's got that one? There we go. Congratulations to you both. Enjoy your book. My next guest is somebody who my wife really was like, no way, she's coming on the show. I was like, she is. And my wife's like, I can't come because I got to stay back in Washington, D.C. Hi, Julie. I love you. Former host of Dancing with the Stars, now working on Your Healthiest Healthy. She's an inspiration to so many of us. She is a cancer survivor. She is now a friend of mine. Samantha Harris, how you doing? Woo, woo, woo! Hello, everybody. Oh, my favorite people. I love Hello, hello. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, this is so fun. Hi, everybody. How is everybody doing? I know, this is what you do for a little, like I'm nervous, like I have to do a good job because you're you. You do an amazing job. I have not only been a guest on your show, but you've been a guest within my wellness community and um, at being a guest on this incredible podcast. I was blown away by the questions that you come up with. And, you know, I went to lots of schooling for, for, this, for this career. So you're doing amazing. And Dr. Barnard, I'm so grateful for everything that you do with the Physicians Committee. Thank you. Oh, wow. Uh, what a compliment. Man. So I want to talk about you, though. That's, that's thank you. Compliments make me <laughs> nervous, whatever. Um, I want to talk about you because in addition to being like this really awesome host and personality, you have such an inspirational story as a cancer survivor yourself. And here you are many years later, and you've learned so much. Before I ask you what I want to ask you, can you just tell the room for those who aren't yet familiar with your story a little bit about your background and your journey to get here? Of course. So um, 
I don't know if you guys watch Dancing with the Stars or Entertainment Tonight or any of those entertainment news shows, but I was the host of many of those for many years. And I was a little girl in Minnesota growing up with big Hollywood dreams. And I finally got out here and I got to do all these amazing shows. And I was just about to turn 40. My daughters were three and six at the time. And I thought I should set a baseline mammogram. So I went and got it. My dad was, a, a, unfortunately, passed from colon cancer when he was just 50. And his mom was a breast cancer survivor who lived to 95. Amazing. But I thought I'll set a best baseline. I got a mammogram. Results came back clear, just as I anticipated they would, because I was, quote, the healthy one among my friends and family, right? The cheeseless pizzas, the boneless, skinless chicken breasts, copious amounts of egg whites, more animal protein in the safe, healthy way than 21 meals out of 21 meals a week. And then, bam, here was this breast cancer diagnosis that shook my entire world because I found a lump 11 days after that clear mammogram. I went to two doctors who told me it was nothing, sent me on my way. Finally, I listened to that inner voice, that gut, that just says, you know, maybe you should really go to someone who knows what they're looking for. And even that incredible oncologist did not think it was cancer after multiple diagnostic tests. But ultimately, we took the lump out, and it turned out to be not stage one, but stage two invasive ductal carcinoma in site two that had gone to a lymph node. Thank goodness I listened to my gut. Thank goodness I knew my body because I exercised every day. But it was the eye-opening experience and the wake-up call, Chuck, I didn't realize I needed. What? Would Samantha Harris today want to tell Samantha Harris, who was eating those 21 out of 21 healthy meals a week, and how would you even begin to have that conversation? I don't think, you know, look, I grew up in Minnesota, land of cow. I mean, I ate everything from tongue to practically tail, and it was meat front and center at every meal. That was, and that's a standard American diet, right? That's what we grow up on, as we all kind of have sat up here saying, we all ate that way, the Burger King, you the Taco Bell. Uh, so, I don't know if I would have listened to myself, but I would have said, hey, maybe back away from the animal meat. And then, for you, who has a career in the makeup chair every single day, being shellacked with chemical bombs of endocrine disruptors, as Dr. Funk mentioned, which she mentioned them from our foods, but they're, uh, you know, and, and I'm also sorry, our, our products and the detergent she mentioned, right? But it's in your makeup, it's in your hair care, it's in your skin care. What are you doing to clean your house and do your laundry? And these were eye-opening moments that I would have loved to have that insight. I remember when I was struggling, working about six different jobs, trying to make it out here, and I had this very wise sage of a woman I worked with in the client accounting department at a talent management company and that I worked at for six years, pounding the pavement on my auditions and everything. And she used to put ground flax every day onto, I think it was her oatmeal or her vegan yogurt or whatever. And I thought she was this crazy woman who was telling you, you should really eat this. And I thought, what are you eating? That looks like dust. I don't understand it. <laughs> I eat that dust every single day now. Yeah, way to be dusty. <laughs> so I got I to gotta ask you, so outside of eating dust, what are five <laughs> other things that you do? Here's your high five. What, what are the five other things you do today to stay cancer-free? Well, I did so much. One thing I want just to give you guys a little more insight for one hot second, which is that I went back to school. Yes, I had this amazing career on TV, but I went back to school and I became a certified health coach. 
I wrote a book that was a bestseller, debuting number one on Amazon, called Your Healthiest Healthy, which I know Chuck mentioned when I was coming up. And now my work, and yes, I, I have a TV show. If you guys like game shows, I have a show called Tug of Awards, airing every day on Game Show Network. Um, that voice, <laughs> you did that, do it again. That, that, was, that was amazing. <laughs> but, uh, but really 95% of my day is talking about wellness, whether I'm coaching a private client, a community member, taking people on retreats. So my top five, all right. Some of them might be a little repeat from the amazing Dr. Christy Funk, um, but I'm gonna say top two are turn those labels around. Turn around every jar, every canister, every potion, every lotion, and start to read your ingredients. So they're the top two because top one is look into that pantry, look at that fridge. And I'm going to give you something that's actionable. And I, you know, you guys are a smart crowd, and you're already here. You're already roomies. So I know you probably have already done all this. But for those who may be new or those who are listening to the podcast and are just tuning in and starting to change things in their lives, because we can take even better control of our well-being than we may realize. So when you walk into your kitchen and your pantry, get rid of the high fructose corn syrup. Super easy. And you'll be shocked at how many products that high fructose corn syrup is in. Why do we want to get rid of that? Well, it's absorbed much more quickly into our bloodstream, which means it spikes our blood sugar, the insulin gets called up, and we reduce our insulin sensitivity. That leads to obesity, that leads to inflammation, and that leads to then, of course, a host of chronic diseases. So just get rid of the high fructose corn syrup, and you're not gonna even notice it's gone. By the way, you're just going to be surprised how much is there. Then, number two, you're going to walk into your bathroom, and you're going to open up your drawers and your bins and your things, and you're going to look at everything that you're putting on your body, from your makeup to your hair care. And there are two things I want you to really keep, just hone in on. There's a whole list of them, because I'm sure, how many people know how many ingredients are banned in the EU because of being known carcinogens, possible carcinogens, endocrine disruptors, or neurotoxins. Does anybody know what that number is? 1,400. And Japan has about similar. How many? <laughs> All right, show of hands. How many think it's at least over 1,000 here in the US as well? Oh, God, you guys are way too smart. All right, so I'm just going to jump right to the, it's 30, and it was only 11 up until a few years ago. And our own, our own standards for changing what's in our products hasn't been revisited by Congress or, or changed officially since 1915. Um, and I may, there may have been a revision in 1928, and it's been stuck in Congress. Actually, it was, that's what it was. It was 1928 and stuck in Congress since 2015. So we have to be empowered consumers. So we want to look for the two first things you can look for that are super easy, parabens, and fragrance, those are known um, endocrine disruptors, so they're messing with our hormones, and we don't want that. So really easy to just go in and do that. Small step changes. And maybe you just start with one product that you're changing. Maybe you just change your face lotion or your foundation for women because it's covering the biggest organ on your face or your whole full, full body lotion. Okay, that was a long-winded top two. That so is, I can uh, speed we, through we the we next got, three. Yeah, blow through the three, here we here go. Here we go, the three. All right, like Christy Funk said, it's flax, flax, flax all the way matcha green tea powder, and berries. Those are the top, that's, that's the third one. So those are my top cancer-fighting foods. Number four, it gotta deal with the stress. So breathe deeply, breathe often, control what you can control, 
and worry when you have to worry and remember those things when you're in a stressful situation so we can mitigate our stress, lower our levels of cortisol that are leading to that high inflammation. And number five, you gotta move, you gotta groove. Who wants, everybody up, up here, one second. Just everybody stand up, yeah. one second, yeah. if, you, if you can. If you can't, that's okay. All right, I just want you guys to just move, 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 move. Yes, all right, so right now you guys just lowered your, your insulin. Your insulin's coming down. I like it, I like it. We got good dancing right there in the middle. Good, you get a 10 out of 10. Len Goodman would give you a 10 out of 10. I like that. All right, so here's what we do. We eat a meal, we get up, we move our bodies, we lower that insulin, that glucose spike. You can sit down, it's okay. You guys did a great job. You guys are awesome, thank you for playing along. But move that body, even if that means breaking in a 30 minute workout into three 10 minutes throughout the day. There you go, those are my top five. Your healthiest healthy, Bomb droppers, woo! Okay. Man, I'm looking at you, Samantha Harris, and I'm looking at Charlotte Cressy back there, and the fact that y'all two with all of that energy are in the same room, I just want everybody to know here, none of us are safe. <laughs> Holy cow, thank you so much. Like, thank you are you. awesome. Hang, hang out for a little bit, hang out for a little bit. Right. We've talked a lot about cancer tonight, but... Um, my next guest is somebody who I'm so thrilled that he's here on National Doctor Day. By the way, round of applause for all the doctors. It is National Doctor Day. I'll go move there. So Thank you. He is not only a friend of mine, he is a, he is a hero to tens of thousands, and I'm so honored and thrilled that he is here with us tonight. The one and only Dr. Columbus Batiste. You have no idea how excited I am to be sharing the stage with you, my friend. Oh, man, it's all, all you. We were talking about the percentage of cancer cases that were preventable, and this is one of my favorite questions when I have cardiologists on. As we know, heart disease is the number one killer here in the States. How many of those cases are preventable? At least 80%. 80%. Right? So when we look at heart disease, it still is the number one killer since 1918, since Spanish flu. I mean, COVID tried to sneak up on it, but it didn't do anything. Heart disease still is the number one. I'll tell you what's more concerning about heart disease, and this is why I'm so glad listening and following behind to do cleanup, right? Is everyone's addressed it. Stress, stress and stress. The broken heart syndrome really a major thing that's really increasing at exponential rates. And how many of you guys have heard of broken heart syndrome? All right, so we need to see all these hands go up. And so we're seeing that this wave of stress that we're dealing with in society is really leading to the heart basically freezing and no longer uh, losing its ability to contract, happening more in women than it is in men. But we've seen an uptick over the past really four to five years. Never described when I was in med school. If you were in charge of the medical school curriculum these days, what would you change, man? You got to tell me this one. Mm. I wouldn't want to be in charge of the medical school curriculum. I'm Smart actually, man. well, no, what, what I would do is, see, there's a concept. Resources go where value is placed. So follow me for a second. So what that means is that every medical student, they have one singular goal to pass the boards the USMLE boards. So resources go to that value to help them pass the boards that do nothing to test you for nutrition. Then you come out of training and now you get into practice. 
So now the emphasis is on billing because you have to be compensated for all that time you spent in training, right? And then during training too as well. So now resources go to where value is placed. And if the billers and the insurance agencies are not going to reimburse for this important work, then we will never see what we're shooting to, what we're aiming for. We're never gonna see it come to fruition until we change that. The thing that I admire about you is that you, you are definitely a disruptor, and I mean that in the best possible way. I'm not an endocrine disruptor. Not in okay. that. <laughs> All right, good. Just want to make sure. The awesome disruptor. Right. Like, if you were to be a pro wrestler, I know WrestleMania is here in town this weekend. Hulk that, Hogan. That would be your Hulk name. Hogan. You're not going to be Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. You're going to be Columbus right. the Disruptor. All right. That's All what right. you do, man. You go in there and you just shake things up, man. That's what I love about you and, and all of your projects. And I know that one of the things that you work so tirelessly on is making sure that your message and this information gets out to literally everybody in every single community. Yes. We all see the statistics as far as the communities that are most affected have the highest rates of these diseases. And I go back to that genetic question where people think, well, it's because of my race, it's because my parents had this, that I'm going to have it as well. You sitting next to me as an African-American, me being a white man, there's no reason why your risk of heart disease should be any higher than mine from a genetic standpoint. That's correct. That's correct. You know, that's one of the things that we see, and I'll tell you, it's... There is a major issue in terms of where we live in this world that may predict in terms of our outcome. Where we're born, and we understand that, that the number one risk factor probably for cancer, for diabetes, for heart disease, is gonna be your zip code. Now, a zip code is not just a race-based zip code. That zip code affects everyone. And that's what we see. And so one of the horrible, I'll share a story with you that's a horrible story on my part, right? So it's, this is just to really shed light that none of us are perfect. So I remember this one day in clinic, seeing a patient rushing in, and they were a bit disheveled. They had dirt under their nails. I had meetings. I was double booked. And so by this point, I was kind of doing my whole charge on plant-based nutrition. I rushed in to see him. I knew I was late for a meeting. And I looked at his chart, and I said, you need to have surgery. There was no discussion. There was nothing at all. And he looked at me. And, and, I, and I was just on my computer typing. He looked up at me and he said, Doc, is there anything else I can do? And I looked up from the computer. I'm still in my mind. I'm in Columbus. I'm not in doctor mode. I'm in, I have things to do. I looked up in that moment. I said, yeah, you can go whole food plant-based. No salt, no oil, no sugar. If you can do that, yeah. And I looked back down and he looked up at me and he said, okay. He said, okay. Wow. That was, in my mind, that was like I got hit over the head with a brick in that moment. And I stopped and I apologized immediately. We sat for the next half hour talking about how he could transform his life. And this man went on to do great things in terms of his lifestyle, his nutrition. Despite lack of a budget, we worked on things, on how he could eat simply and hopefully despite his zip code. And guess what, Chuck? He looked more like you than he looked like me. What? Yeah. His zip code matters. Yeah. Right? 
and there's a burden, so we need to reach out to our community. It's all about the lowest person, the person who is at greatest risk. That's what's most important, and that's what we're all called to do, really, in terms of giving back and making sure that we focus on those who are in need. Well, I'm just going to plant a little seed. Yeah. Here's what I would love to see. I think that if you and Tony there were to get together and put together a little something, something, y'all could really change the lives of a lot of people. Well, I think Tony's already done that. And I mean, it's a one-two combination. Come on, right? <laughs> High five time. If you were to tell somebody five things, five foods that they should eat, five things that they should do to lower their risk of heart disease, what would be Dr. Columbus Batiste's top five? All right, so you guys are out here in Hollywood, basically, right? So first thing you have to know being in Hollywood is you need to know people by their, their first name. We know who first name celebrities are, right? So if I said who Braun is, everyone knows who Braun is, right? Yeah, you know who Kobe is? We know who Kobe is. You have to eat the celebrities of the food is what needs to happen. One name, broccoli, apples, kale. These are the things you want, to approach, you want to approach your food that same way as the celebrities of the food aisle is what you need to do. No multiple ingredients, one ingredient, one name. And so top of the list, it's easy in terms from my perspective. First thing is I make it simple, right? So I grew up, my folks are from Louisiana. So there was always plentiful amounts of greens. Right, so that means I'm going to have greens are going to be a staple inside my house. We know the dietary nitrates help lower the blood pressure. We know the impact it has on the body in terms of fiber, too, as well. Extremely important. What's the second thing that we have down in New Orleans? We have red beans. So we're going to have beans. Beans are extremely important. Beans are extremely important in terms of resistant carbohydrates and, and the fiber-rich foods and, and the, 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 the minerals that are there, too, as well, the magnesium and so forth. We're looking to, as well, grains. But the most important, the thing I love the most is really the berries. That antioxidant is so powerful. Even we talk about cancer. I heard the, the talk about cancer. I'm going to tell you from a heart disease standpoint, this thing of, 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 of do you guys understand that whole antioxidant oxidant thing? We, we toss that around a lot in free radicals. Do you guys really understand that? All right. So imagine if it's someone who comes in and they steal your joy. That's a free radical. They're coming in and they're like, they're empty on the inside. They're like, you know what? I want you. I'm taking this tie. That's a free radical. They're coming and stealing your joy. What an antioxidant does is they stand in the way and protect him. They're going to protect. They're protecting this guy. They're protecting Chuck. They're saying, no, you cannot steal his joy. And so from a health standpoint, the more antioxidants you have, they're your personal bodyguards. You want to build your system with bodyguards all around you because guess what? You're a celebrity in your own right, and we need to do that. We enrich ourselves with these things. So uh, the berries, the seeds for additional omegas, too, as well, then your powerhouse. Now you can build your bowls. Now you can build your smoothies. You build your salads, all predicated upon those basic ingredients that are also heart healthy. My man. I, lo I love how you're able to just, like, put it down just like that in terms that everybody... Everybody can understand, everybody can grasp, and I love the way that everybody is, you know, the number one celebrity for themselves, right? We all should be a big fan of ourselves, and that's why we should invest in ourselves as well, right? So who doesn't want to support their favorite celebrity, right? Come and on. if you are your top celebrity, you are your own biggest fan, support yourself, right? 
Um, before we move on to our next guest, sir, your voice is awesome. If I could just get you to read that, that would be great. <laughs> this guy here. I love you. <laughs> the Quiet Storm with love songs and dedications. <laughs> Hi, I'm the love doctor, Dr. Columbus Batiste. This guy, Chuck, this guy, Chuck, right here. I love you, man, you're a good sport. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Columbus Batiste, round of applause for my man. All right, we still have one big guest to go, but before we get there is Fievel Stewart in the house. Where are you at, Fievel? Hey, how you doing? You are an awesome young actor. It is really cool to have you here, and I am so thrilled that you're spending a little time with us tonight, and I look forward to getting to know you. And uh, yeah, that man who's giggling at the end, you have him to blame. So uh, thank you so very much for being here. Check out our IMDb. And you should also check out the IMDb. I'm going to need a volunteer. We're out of chairs, man. No, 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 no. You stay. All right. Okay. He will. All right, so you should also check out the IMDb of my next guest, who was a very early supporter of the show, and I am so thrilled that she is here because not only is she a wonderful musician and actress in her own right, she has also really changed the game for members of her own family and uh, is really helping them live a healthier, more, uh, I'd say, brighter future kind of a life. So Harley Quinn Smith is here, Harley Quinn. <laughs> What's up? Hey, hi. I'm loving the hair. How you doing? Have a seat. Welcome Thanks. to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I've now sunk to third on the shoe game for tonight. Oh, hey. Well, but. these are, of course, vegan. Um, Bava shoes. They're my favorite. Uh, check them out. Those are very serious. So you're like Moby, and, and you came to being plant-based for the animals, correct? Yes, correct. Solely for, I mean, obviously there are so many benefits to veganism for, for yourself, for your health, for the environment. But uh, for me, I became vegan because I adopted a rabbit. And um, she, when I adopted her, she was in this really terrible condition um, before she was surrendered to the shelter that I adopted her from. She was being held by hoarders, and so there were like a hundred other rabbits where she was, and uh, she, her, her ear was ripped in half, she had all these metal stitches, and she was covered in pee, and I just remember, I, I, my parents uh, said I could adopt a rabbit for Christmas one year. This was eight years ago. Cinnamon and I have been together for eight years. And um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, round of applause thank for you. Cinnamon. Cinnamon, Cinnamon, oh, Cinnamon. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, when I saw Cinnamon, uh, it was the day after Christmas. I went to the shelter and I was so excited. And I just looked at her and I, I knew that she needed a loving home uh, so badly and I, I was so scared that since you know her ear was ripped and she was in this pretty bad condition I was so scared that uh, nobody else would really take her so I was like she's the one for me and I adopted her and she didn't want anything to do with me she wouldn't come near me uh, she didn't want to be pet and it was totally understandable because she was traumatized from the situation that she 
that she came from. Um, but after months of showing her love and, and uh, compassion and just making her aware that I was never going to hurt her, uh, she came around and she is just the sweetest, loveliest creature in the world. And after seeing what human compassion could do to an animal and how it could change their life, I thought it would be very hypocritical uh, if I didn't, you know, think of all animals being the same as, as cinnamon. They, every animal, every being on this earth wants to be shown love, wants to, wants to receive kindness, like whether they're cognizant of it or not. They, every, every living being wants kindness. So um, yeah, it, it really, it, cinnamon changed my life. Cinnamon's <laughs> like the most important thing that's ever happened to me, adopting cinnamon. So yeah, and I've been vegan for, I think like, I looked the other day, my vegan anniversary is April 1st, 2016, so it's it's coming up. <laughs> is it like April, two days to Like two days, wow. yeah, and that would be, uh, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are we doing to celebrate? Uh, eating some good-ass vegan food, for sure. <laughs> there it is. Did you get some of Tony's good-ass vegan food? I know. I've, I've, I, no, I missed it tonight, and I was so upset. I was so upset, but I know how amazing her food is. She's Oh, thank you. I, oh my gosh, please. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty heavy reason for making the switch. Um, even though, like, you knew in your heart of hearts that you had to do it, was it, was it difficult for you to take the meat and the dairy out of your diet? Um, you know, it wasn't, the, the food for me wasn't the hardest part. Uh, it was when I started to realize how many different aspects of my life uh, included using animal products, like the clothes that I wear, uh, the makeup that I use, the products I put on my body. Um, I, I didn't, the, the furniture in my home, like I, it was, it, it was uh, kind of a, a long period of time of transition, not the, not the food aspect, but once I realized how many other aspects of my life included animal products, I kind of just attacked it one, one by one. And um, yeah, I was just really, and still am just so dedicated to living a cruelty-free life. And along the way, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Along the way, I think inevitably, kind of, as I was talking about at the top, is you go in through one vegan door, but then essentially you're going to enter into the other two, and in this case, nutrition being one of them. Mm. Your father has uh, just a wicked bad heart attack, and we're so lucky that he survived. He has just a, a brilliant mind, but I think really your brilliance, though, shined in getting the message across to him after that. How did you approach saying, hey, dad, you know, this is something that you should really look about because we look at because we love you. We care about you. I want you to be around. How did that conversation even begin? Yeah. Um, so my my dad had was quite overweight when he had his heart attack. And uh, I, I had been vegan for quite a while before then. And I was always trying to get him to try my vegan options and everything, but he was somebody who was literally drinking milk out of the carton, dairy milk, and I, which I have always thought is disgusting. Um, and 
would have like meat for every meal, like his favorite meal, favorite type of food, which is actually also my favorite type of food is like the Thanksgiving type, um, which there are incredible vegan options for, Tell which we, we all know now. But um, at the time he was just like, I'm not giving up turkey or gravy or whatever. And I was like, you're, come on. Like, but I, I tried to really get him to see it from my perspective. And he's a really compassionate person, but the animal stuff just like was not doing it for him. And then he had this really massive heart attack, uh, an artery called, referred to as the widow maker was, uh, a hundred percent clogged or blocked. And the, the doctors uh, said that he, was two minutes away from from dying. So uh, we just were so so insanely lucky um, that he he caught it when he did. Well, actually, he didn't. He was in the middle of doing a show and he didn't want to leave. And so it was actually two other people, uh, Jordan and Emily, who he owes his life to because they called an ambulance against his against his wishes. Um, but yeah, after that. I knew I was just going to force him to go vegan. And I'm not a forceful vegan for anybody else. Like, I, I'm very much respectful of the pace that everybody has to go to. And I understand that it's, you know, it's not an overnight change for everybody. I'm always a huge advocate for whatever you can do to contribute to, to, less, to lessen animal suffering is amazing. Um, but for my dad, that wasn't an option. I, was, I said, you, you've done it your way for as long as I've, I've been here and um, you have to change things now because I'm not going to lose you. But, but here's like, I, I don't know that you understand like how extraordinary this is. Like you went from, you know, dad being in charge and calling the shots to you're like, no, dad, you're doing this because we're going to save your life and we're going to do that right now. Yeah. Like that is so rare. And I can't tell you, Harley, how often I get asked by exam roomies, how can I talk to my family about this? Right. And I'm yeah. sure that you've had those conversations with others as well. What kind of advice can you give? I mean, in a situation like this, it really comes down to like, this is your family. You don't want to lose this person. And if you really come at it from a compassionate standpoint, I mean, I, I was forceful. I'm not going to lie. But like, I, I do always think the best act, activism is when you come at it with compassion and kindness. And I, I just really, I didn't want to lose my dad. And I remember the day after he had his heart attack in the hospital, they, they gave him meat and it blew my mind. And I was like, what? And that was the last meat he ever had. But I, it blew my mind. I could not understand given what he he just had a heart attack and they're actually giving him the food that has caused his his arteries to be blocked all these like to this build up for all these years i couldn't believe it was so crazy to me, and I, I argued with his doctors, like his main uh, cardiologist said he didn't need to go vegan, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I respect you and thank you for saving my father's life, but like, this is crazy. Of course, there is so much evidence that animal products are one of the huge, biggest causes of artery blockages, and you're gonna tell me right now that you're saying it's unnecessary for my dad to cut out the products that just put him in this situation? 
like, I respect you and thank you, but no. And so I, I, I told my dad that wasn't an option and he was going to have to listen to me. And uh, he did, and I'm very grateful. <laughs> yeah. And Dr. Batiste, as a cardiologist, I mean, to hear what Harley was just saying, that is a story that plays out in hospital rooms across the country and around the world. How do you get through to your fellow cardiologists and say, hey, guys, like we really need to take a stronger look at what it is we're giving our patients? You know, first I'll say I wish all my patients had daughters like you. Oh, right? thank you so, so much. I mean, that's so, you know, it's, you. it's very common that I will have family who bring in the same foods that I put them there, right? They'll bring greasy, soaked bags of you name it. Um, while the patient is there uh, post-procedure. So in terms of how I, I've interacted with my colleagues, and I'll tell you, it's been hard. It was hard initially. I was actually scared when I started off. I was literally a little bit more nervous than I was first putting wires and balloons down arteries because I didn't want to be seen as that guy, right? You know, and so, but I started because I felt I had to. And by doing that, just like what was mentioned in terms of compassion with love, not beating anyone up, all of a sudden there started to be a scenario where, where my colleagues were saying, oh yeah, I don't know as much about nutrition, but Dr. Batiste does, I'll give you his, his information. You know, or hey, you know what, why don't you go to his class? Why don't you go to his cooking class? Here's what you can do. And so they start referring patients over. And then I started having other doctors start to attend some of those things. And so it was never, it's never been a situation where I've beat, I've beat them up. But what I do is I will go ahead and I will demonstrate the, the evidence and talk about how this is a viable option of treatment. This is a treatment strategy that we're, we're employing nutritional therapy, right? Intervention in order to help a patient um, and go from there. And so I've, I've been very appreciative. Now, are all of them plant-based, whole food plant-based, vegan? No. But what I could tell you is, is that from the moment I met one colleague, he's moved from eating any and everything over to ensuring he has more salads every single day. And that's a movement in the right direction. I have another colleague where his wife now has forced him to start eating this way because she came to one of my classes. So I'm seeing the power of just that influence. So I was trying to link those two up to at a program, and now we're going to throw you as the patient advocate on there. I mean, y'all can honest. change the world, right? I mean, it's just unbelievable what you've been able to do. And uh, high five from you really quickly. We are running out of time. Um, if somebody is interested in becoming more animal friendly and you're talking to them about it and why it's so important to you, what are five things you would encourage them to start doing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think number one, just like I mentioned before, uh, take whatever steps you can today, whether that's you're getting coffee and you, and you get a non-dairy milk, or you're at the grocery store and you get earth balance instead of dairy butter. Um, there are so many easy switches that are, are really, you can't even notice. Like earth balance tastes the exact same. <laughs> and just so many things like that that are very easy switches. So I think just do, Whatever, whatever thing, you, whatever you can contribute to to lessen the suffering of animals is much appreciated and has an impact. I think people don't understand how 
one choice they make has such a greater effect on um, on the well-being of animals. But it's so true. Every every action has a way bigger reaction. Um, number two, think about what when you're if you're shopping. Think about how to do it more sustainably. Uh, secondhand shopping, vintage shopping, things like that. If you if you if you're somebody that wants to wear leather, instead of contributing to the current production of leather, go out and get a a secondhand leather jacket. I I don't do that, but I think I would take that any day over uh, contributing in in purchasing some new made animal product. Uh, third like so many people have said tonight, look at what you're putting on your face, on your body. It is so, so easy to shop cruelty-free. There are so many drugstore brands now that are cruelty-free. It is really such a simple and easy way to help animals in such a gigantic way. And I, I feel so passionately about it because of cinnamon um, and because rabbits are so commonly tested on, but it is truly like, from my opinion, the easiest thing you can do to help animals is just to switch to using cruelty-free products. And then of course, within those, you should pay attention to what ingredients there are because just because it's cruelty-free doesn't mean it, it's whatever. But just being cruelty-free is, is so, so, so amazing for the animals. Um, and things like, things like your household objects. I just don't think, pe we don't really realize because we're so used to just having these animal products in our lives, how it's just everywhere. The things we buy for our home, what's in our kitchen, what's in our in our medicine cabinets and our bathrooms, like everywhere. There are so many different, so many different ways that, that we can, as individuals can, can cut down the suffering of animals just by our daily choices. Um, so really just overall, just to be aware, just try to implicate that, uh, not implicate, try to um, apply that, that extra awareness, uh, to your everyday routines, just different products that you can change out that are really so, just such simple switches uh, really make such a huge impact for the animals. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Thank you to all the guests. Thank you to all the exam roomies, the volunteers, the wonderful Ebel, the chef at the Ebel, Tony Okamoto, Columbus Batiste, Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Christy Funk. Samantha Harris and of course Harley Quinn Smith. Thank you all so very much for being here. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Exam Roomies. Tickets are on sale now for the Exam Room live and in person July 12th in New York. Seating is limited, so act now. And I do believe the ticket prices will be going up soon as well. So lock in your early rate right now. There's a link to secure your tickets right now in the episode notes, or you can visit pcrm.org events. And it really is another all-star lineup that is shaping up. I have two big confirmed names that I can share with you. Dr. Neil Barnard will be with us once again. And Dr. Rob Osfeld, who was on one of our most downloaded episodes ever of The Exam Room. 
He also will be joining us that night. He is a phenomenal cardiologist, and I can't wait to bring him back on the show July 12th in New York at the Museum of the City of New York up near Central Park. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal venue. So I hope that you can join us, pcrm.org slash events, or click that link in the episode notes. And by the by, by the by, my dad and my stepmom should also be in the house that night. So you could see old Papa Carroll if you want to meet him as well. And this is a night for your heart. We're really going to be focusing on heart health this go around. We did a lot with cancer out in L.A. So let's go ahead and turn to the leading cause of death in the United States, heart disease. And so many of these cases are preventable. So we want to bring the power of prevention, the power of plants right to you on stage in New York, the exam room live and in person, July 12th with Dr. Barnard, Dr. Osfeld, myself, and special guests still to come. And again, thank you so much to everyone who came out to Los Angeles at the eBell to make that such a magical, magical evening. I really do love each and every one of you exam roomies. And also a huge thank you to everyone at the Physicians Committee for working so hard to pull that night together. It is a huge undertaking, a huge undertaking, you guys. Thank you to Mike, Betsy, Dania, Emily, Haley, Ollie, everyone who just poured hours of hard work and sweat and dedication into pulling that off. Thank you all so very much. It is a real privilege to be able to be part of this team. And speaking of teams, we have an open roster spot or two if you're looking to make the leap into this space. Right now, we are looking at the Physicians Committee for a senior toxicologist. And let me read to you what this position is about. The senior toxicologist will set strategy and oversee policy, scientific and outreach activities related to the reduction and replacement of animal tests required or conducted by regulatory agencies and companies really critical, important work. And if you would like to join our team as a senior toxicologist right now, you can apply at pcrm.org careers, or click that link in the episode notes to see a full list of jobs that are currently available. The Barnard Medical Center is powering this episode of the exam room podcast. Their doctors and dietitians practice lifestyle medicine and promote plant-based nutrition with in-person visits in their Washington, D.C. office and telemedicine appointments in 18 states. Visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to learn more. That's barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. Dr. Vanita Rahman and dietitian Karen Smith from the Barnard Medical Center will be my guests on the next episode of The Exam Room Live. We're going to be talking about emotional and binge eating. That's coming up on YouTube and on Facebook. Join us live Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, or catch the replay right back here on the podcast. And if you would like to submit a question for Karen or Dr. Rahman ahead of time, you can send them to me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Chuck Carroll, WLC. 
And as long as you have your phone in your hand, why not go ahead and hop over to Apple Podcast or Spotify, give the exam room by the Physicians Committee a follow and a five-star rating. Because every new follow, every five-star rating truly does help to make the world a healthier place. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Christy Funk, Dr. Columbus Batiste, Moby, Samantha Harris, and of course, Harley Quinn Smith for joining us out in LA and to every single exam roomie who was at the e-bell that night as well. You all helped to make that a tremendously successful evening and I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.